Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com slash connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another great podcast. And we always have exciting guests. So let me introduce ourselves, and then we'll introduce our guest. I'm Maria Geffers, and this is my husband, Tom. And we are from Career and College Counselors. And every week we bring experts into our podcast who are experts in college admissions, financial, and also careers. And this today, and for this podcast, we have a great uh, guest. Her name is Dr. Nicole Hall, and she is the Executive Director of Graduate Admissions at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And thank you so much, Dr. Nicole, for uh, coming and joining us. And as I said, I love your background. It is beautiful. <laughs> thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and you know, working with artists all day. I tried to make myself a nice creative space here uh, for everyone. You can imagine that at art school meetings, um, there's lots of dynamic backgrounds. So. <laughs> I love it. And as you know, every week, uh, every podcast, we actually have an overarching question, an essential question, if you will. And ours for your podcast is what you need to know about applying to the Art and Design Institute. So the first thing we do is we're going to talk about um, who you are, what you do, and why you do it. And also, what was your aha moment when you knew that this is where you wanted to be and what you wanted to do? Sure, absolutely. So um, my first engagement with um, working in admissions was when I was an undergraduate student. So um, I went to art school and um, had many jobs in those years, um, but one of them was working in the admissions office. Um, I had had a wonderful experience with admissions, um, applying to schools. Uh, I liked the warmth of that space um, and, um, and ended up working there through my, my four years of undergrad. So um, when I finished school and was 
was thinking about, you know, what type of career I was interested in. Um, I had really just enjoyed that work. I'm also a bit of a perpetual student, so I knew I wanted to um, continue my education to stay in the academic world. Um, so I uh, I took that leap and, and took my first professional job in admissions, and it just kind of rolled on after there. I really love how working in enrollment management allowed me to really continuously learn. It's ever-changing, the students are ever-changing, the ways with uh, the, how we engage them. Um, it's just really dynamic and also just touches on so many um, different spaces um, that really allowed me to explore my love of data, um, my love of visual um, communication. So um, just a, a really fun space there for me. Um, I think that really one of my aha moments was um, I had been working in enrollment for this maybe five or six years and my undergrad alma mater reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we need someone who can shake up enrollment here and is also an artist and there just aren't many of you around. And I was like, wow, I do, you know, fill that really interesting kind of um, mixed space. So, um, so that was really where I, I think I decided this is this is definitely what I love. This is definitely what I want to keep doing. Um, and I really, you know, I, I take the role very seriously. Our students make our institutions. Um, so I think that, you know, really being part of, of that building and that, and that creating that academic culture through the students that we're bringing in um, is just really something that, that I enjoy. It's a really positive space um, and something that I plan to keep on doing. So... So you're in the perfect space for you. It fits you perfectly, as we always say. Good career move. Good. <laughs> as the uh, director of uh, admissions, what is your uh, overarching advice to somebody who's thinking about going into art school and uh, pursuing that as a career? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, I think it's important to really understand what it means to be an academic artist. Um, you know, so many of our students that are coming in, um, being an artist and being a maker is is I would say kind of deep in your soul that desire to make is something that you can't really quiet. Um, but then thinking about you know going into art school and really pursuing that um, is extremely rewarding, but also requires a deep dedication. Um, taking the work that you make that's so personal and sharing that outwardly um, requires a lot of vulnerability. Um, it's also, you know, so it becomes very personal in your academic experience, um, which is, you know, really different than some other fields. Um, it's also a, a big time commitment. So, you know, I always point out to students that, you know, we're traditionally a three credit course is about three hours of instruction a week. In the art world, that's about six. So the amount of time that you're spending in the studio um, really impacts what your schedule looks like. So things like time management are especially important um, when you're pursuing an art education. Um, you know, those classes are wonderful. You want to be there for six hours, but when you're thinking about what that does to your overall schedule, um, you know, is, is definitely um, a, a commitment. Going to art school is not, you know, an easy, you know, kind of walk in the park in that way. Um, you know, our students are also learning 
a history and a vernacular that they're rooting their work into. So, um, you know, again, it, an art education is is not for the faint of heart. It's it's really a lot of yourself. It's a lot of um, taking in the entire art world and really figuring out where you fit in there. Um, and at the same time, then balancing all of those other, you know, traditional elements of a, of a college education. <laughs> so um, it's definitely fun. It's definitely a lot of work. Um, so I think that, you know, when students are thinking about that, really understand what that education looks like um, is really important. You know, in our business, uh, we speak to uh, families and students and everything is STEM, 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 STEM. You know, uh, on Facebook and the news, how important it is. And uh, we very rarely speak to somebody in your position outside of the STEM world, which we, you know, we were so happy to be able to speak to you. But what are some of the careers that uh, our students go into uh, when they graduate in art school? Sure. So um, many of our students go on to be working artists um, that could be showing in galleries. Uh, the, a lot of our students are building production brands um, or doing commission work. Uh, we also have students that go into a lot of nonprofit work. So there's so many creative organizations that employ artists as administrators, um, particularly as we're seeing a shift away from um, arts education in um, a lot of our public schools. A lot of that has been taken up by nonprofit organizations connecting students with art. Um, there's, of course, that education piece. Um, we have students teaching in K through 12, students teaching at the college level, and students, again, teaching in some of those um, community arts organizations. Um, but, you know, in, in general, when I kind of think about what our students are doing, um, I always think about the fact that everything that we encounter in life has been touched by the hand of an artist at some point. So, you know, whether that's a piece of technology sitting in front of you, there's still an artist involved in what that looks like. Um, you know, even our, our uh, STEM friends and engineering, um, they're still typically working with some type of designer. So if you think of, um, of art careers in that aspect. It's just an, an endless, um, you know, array of opportunities there. And things like the critical thinking and the resiliency, uh, the ability to, um, you know, take critique and use that to move forward are skills that are, are just really wonderful in life. Um, you know, I went from art school, eventually to pursuing a PhD in geography and urban studies. Um, and I was one of the stronger students in my cohort because of that arts education, my ability to manage time and work with others and think outside the box are just really transferable skills. And it's something that, you know, we hear from our alums, regardless of what they're doing, um, that those are skills that, you know, have really helped them kind of you know, fly into all different um, different career opportunities. So a parent shouldn't really be nervous about having their student uh, pursue. No, not at all. And you know, when I when I declared that I was interested in going to art school, um, my mom, who uh, has a business background, was very much not comfortable with that. Um, but, you know, I think that one of the things that my art teachers really advocated for me there was, you know, she does not want to do business and she's not going to be happy or thrive in a space that she doesn't want to be in. Whereas, you know, in a creative space, like, you know, creative folks will make it work. Um, and that, that certainly is, is true for me. So um, yeah, definitely well, no worries there. Well, we, we, we can relate to that to a large degree. Our daughter uh, 
majored in theater. And mm -hmm. uh, I said, oh, okay, that's great. She did well in high school theater. I said, what is your plan B? And she said, I don't have a plan B. So I said, all right, you must be devoted. So, uh, you know, she's very successful now in Philadelphia uh, in directing theater and very well known there. So, you know, if Wonderful. you have the, you know, the, uh, the burning desire, it, it usually works out. Yeah, passion, passion goes a long way. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, what is the difference, if there is any difference between attending an, an art institute and, and a student going to a college and just majoring in art? Sure. Is there a difference? Yeah. So, I mean, from a curricular standpoint, um, all accredited institutions have a very similar course structure. Um, so really where the difference comes in is it's much more about experience. Um, so the schools that are the independent colleges of art and design are really tight-knit communities. Everyone there is, um, you know, on a creative track um, and really kind of sharing that focus. Um, certainly one of the nice things there also is that all of those institutional resources are focused on the arts. That's, you know, the, the priority there. Um, and um, so, so that's kind of that what that community looks like. Whereas um, a student that's going into um, a, a larger college or university um, is, is looking more at kind of a traditional broad college experience with then those, you know, kind of that art enclave as part of it. Um, those tend, you know, the independent colleges of art and design tend tend to be smaller institutions compared to some of the larger um, universities and colleges. So um, it, it really depends on the type of experience a student's looking for and, you know, exactly um, what type of, of art they want to pursue. Um, you know, definitely looks a little bit different in, in those different types of academies. Great. Now, we heard uh, a term called National Portfolio Day. Mm -hmm. What is that all about? Sure. So the National Portfolio Day Association has been around um, since the late 70s, so over 40 years at this point. Um, and it was an organization that was created by a group of art schools, both independent art schools, as well as um, art programs within um, larger colleges and universities. Um, and really, it was designed to serve students looking to go to art school in ways that a traditional college fair doesn't. Um, so where a college fair, you know, students are going to collect materials and ask questions, they can do those things at a portfolio day as well, but they also have the ability to bring their artwork and have schools look over their work. Um, so, you know, that experience for students is really important. The portfolio is a significant component to admission at any art school that students are looking for, and every art school is looking for slightly different things. So the Portfolio Day provides students an opportunity to talk to the schools that they might be interested in and talk specifically the context of their own work and what they're making and how that aligns with the different schools that they're considering. Um, it's also a great opportunity. So many students have been making art in a vacuum. So they're creating, they're drawing at home, but they're never actually sharing that work or getting feedback. And it's a really safe space for them to be able to do that. So we have students that um, will come to Portfolio Days starting when they're sophomores, come as sophomores and juniors, and again, as seniors. So that by the time that they're presenting that portfolio as part of their application, um, they've really had a lot of, of feedback and input um, in helping them curate um, that portfolio to suit the school that they're looking for. Um, and these events are free for all of the students who attend. Um, they happen 
all over the country internationally. And um, we have a number of them online as well. I think there's nine online this year. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the goal there is that they really are, are accessible for, for all students to be able to have those opportunities. And there's about 105 schools that participate in the, in the um, events. Does that student go, it, obviously it can't be like a regular college fair where there's thousands of colleges and students are just lining up. Do they make an appointment to their, uh, to a admissions counselor and that counselor then will meet with them uh, in the school or is it like, uh, like a college fair on the table and here it is? Yep, it's 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 very much like a college fair. So, um, you know, there's 105 schools in the organization. Some events, maybe 50 schools will attend. Some, you know, maybe 90. It's rare that like every school is represented at all of those. Um, but you know, we when we go, we'll send about 15 reviewers oh. so that they can, you know, kind of move through students as quickly as possible. Um, and you know, of course, that that varies. We're one of the larger independent art schools, but um, but yeah. It's it's, it's a um, it's it's a lot of it's a lot for the students when they attend. It's about a four hour event, and they might see five schools in that time. Um, but yeah, it's kind of just get in line and put your work on the table. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> it is it is hard, but it's a it's a good experience for them. And I think that you know all of the schools that are part of the Portfolio Day Association are accredited art schools. Um, they all are requiring a portfolio, and they all really treat these events as a space that should be positive for the students. So no one is there to say, this is terrible, you know, get out of here. Everyone is really supportive and really encouraging. Um, and I mean, there will be times where we'll be reviewing a student and say, you know, I don't know if you're like the best fit for SAIC, but you have, you know, this animation works. There's another school that we think, you know, is actually like a really good fit for you. So, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, a lot of collegiality that happens there. Yeah, good. Oh, the friendly atmosphere, it sounds it, like. It is. You know, <laughs> us, us art schools, we're a friendly group. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a two-part question here. What is, what is the, the best thing or uh, uh, what components of, it, it makes an excellent portfolio and what might make a bad one? For the sure. Beginner. For, the, for the yeah. beginner. So, so of course it's very subjective. Um, and like I said, every school is looking for something different. So, you know, some schools are much more traditional and they're looking for, you know, a, an observational drawing based portfolio. Um, some schools are looking for a really creative conceptual portfolio. Um, so, you know, really having an idea of an understanding of the work that you're making and the work that a school is looking for and how those align um, are really going to influence um, kind of what makes a strong portfolio. But um, in general, drawing skills are, are really fundamental, even for students that are going into, you know, uh, more 3D or computer-based um, works, um, still being able to communicate your ideas in a visual way. Drawing is just kind of a fundamental core of that. Um, so seeing evidence of drawing in a portfolio is generally something we're all looking for. Um, you know, passion, production, seeing that you are, that a student is making work, that they're experimenting in different ways, that, um, you, you know, they are doing things beyond just assignments that their art teacher is giving them, but that they're making work um, that they're, that, you know, it really personally connects to them. 
Um, and, and really being able to speak about their work, I think goes a long way. You know, when we're talking to students, you know, certainly we recognize that all students have different backgrounds. So we have students who have been in schools that have, you know, dynamic multiple medium, you know, classes from kindergarten through 12th grade. And then we have students who might be in a school that they don't have access to any art classes at all. So that's certainly going to impact you know, how we're reviewing that student. Um, so their ability to talk about why they're making the work that they're making, um, you know, what they hope to do with that work in college um, is a really important part of it as well. Um, we also love things like when students bring sketchbooks to show us their process, you know, like how, so here's what your, you know, final pieces might look like, but how did you get there? How did you experiment? What are, you know, what is the, the first thing that's coming out of your head when you're first thinking about work? Um, so all, all of that kind of process work that you see in a sketchbook is something that, um, that I always really encourage students to include in their portfolio as well. One of the most uh, amazing, I was a, a gifted teacher and the, the way that our program was set up is that the student actually designed their own program. And uh, one year I had a student who was interested in going to art school and he would bring his, he'd set up his easel in the classroom and, you know, and start creating his, his portfolio. And that was so cool because the kids would watch and they would, you know, it was a learning experience for everybody. And I thought that was really one of the nice things that, you know, you remember certain things when you're teaching and, he really stands out that he came and was able to create his portfolio in my classroom, you know, so that That's was wonderful. really nice. I enjoyed that. With COVID-19 happening, how did that impact your, uh, your whole admissions process, your whole school uh, setting, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in terms of our school setting, um, you know, obviously it was really important for our students to maintain access to our facilities. Um, so we moved to a hybrid structure where most of our lectures and academic um, classes were happening in a remote way, um, but that students were still able to come in in small groups to be able to use the different facilities. Um, our students at the graduate level also have their own independent spaces, so we want to make sure that they continue to have access to those. So um, there were a lot of precautions on campus, um, a lot of distancing, a lot of reorganization of spaces, um, but we did, you know, we were able to maintain access for students, you know, things like ceramics or glass blowing are, you know, very difficult to, um, to transition fully online. Um, but we also saw a lot of creativity, um, particularly things like our performance department, really thinking about how do you perform in a virtual space? <laughs> Um, and I was fortunate to sit in on, on some of their critiques and they were kind of doing these group things where they were each doing pieces and they were passing them off and sharing sound um, and really continuing to perform in the virtual space in a really interesting and compelling way. So, you know, I think as, as artists, we adapt and art is all about 
um, you know, responding to what's happening in our world. And I think our students, you know, as citizen artists really took that task seriously and, and really were, you know, reinventing themselves in, in how to be an artist in a virtual space. Um, so that, you know, in, in a lot of ways is really exciting. Um, certainly, we're also very excited to be back on campus fully this fall. Okay. Um, yeah. And in terms of our enrollment processes, Reviewing portfolios virtually was certainly a challenge. Um, you know, it's really nice to have a student in front of you and be able to handle their work and see their physical work when they're, you know, holding things up on the screen or uploading. Um, you lose a little bit of that, but um, but certainly we we did our best to to make it work and um, and to stay engaged with the students as much as possible. Um, we also opted to do some community critique days where we actually allowed students to come, prospective students to come together and share work with each other um, because we know that that's something you know typically when we would have an event the students get to meet us, but they also get to meet each other. So, um, so it was really important to us to continue to create those spaces. Community is so important to all of our students. So, um, so to be able to find ways for them to maintain that through the process um, was, a, was a big focus in, in kind of our event structures. Right, which brings me to the question, in your dissertation, you had expressed an, a passion for the importance of educational institutions to be part of the community. So uh, could you tell me a little bit about that? Why is that your passion? And, uh, you know, kind of go elaborate a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. So, um, so I, uh, my academic research focuses a lot on university community partnerships um, and recognizing that universities, particularly in dense urban spaces, really have a significant impact on their community. Um, they are producing community members. They are bringing new community members into those spaces. Um, you know, certainly here in Chicago, when we have a density of not just our institution in the city, but, you know, there's 22 schools with a representation in downtown in the loop. Um, so, you know, really thinking about the role of the university in creating engaged citizens, um, that doing that throughout a student's um, time at a university um, is really important in um, just kind of framing what their experience is going to be like as they move outside of the institution. Um, it's really easy for students and faculty to, you know, be in that ivory tower of, um, you know, just kind of focusing in on all of the really important things that you're doing um, as a student and as an academic, um, but recognizing that you're doing all of those things to impact the world, um, that the university really has the opportunity to kind of set that tone. So things like, you know, as an institution is maybe expanding, really thinking about, you know, are there ways to integrate community spaces into the built environment of your campus um, to make sure that campuses are engaging the neighborhoods around them and really considering um, themselves as neighbors um, and as engaged uh, members of, of any community. Um, a lot of the work that I do is um, looking at, you know, different factors and, and really understanding why neighborhoods are um, prosperous versus other neighborhoods that struggle, looking at population changes. Um, and as you kind of layer all of the data there, large institutions always, um, you know, really have that opportunity to serve as an anchor um, and institutions that are able to engage their communities, provide services to communities, um, are always uh, more 
successful in terms of the um, you know safety of neighborhoods, the um, growth of neighborhoods, um, than institutions that really try to wall themselves in and and separate themselves from their from their urban spaces. So you really have uh, brought your creativity and your data, which is kind of uh, an odd dance, if you will, <laughs> I think, you know, and you've married them very well into what you do, which is your passion. Yeah. And, you know, I think when I, um, you know, I working in enrollment became so interested in just understanding those those human relationships um, and you know what makes a university and and how we can best serve our students um, you know really thinking about that point of connection is how I ended up in geography because it's all spatial um, you know enrollment is very spatial where do students come from where are they going when they leave um, and so I think you know looking at uh, at human centric data in a spatial way um, also you can imagine I'm a very visual person. I need to see it to understand it. Um, so that that all kind of layered in really well. Um, and I think, you know, certainly has has contributed to um, my successes in enrollment management and also the reasons that I continue to find it just a wonderful, fun, positive thing to do every day. As we come to our close here, is there any topic that we haven't touched on that you would like to speak on? Not really. I just, you know, want to note, and, and I'm sure you two feel this way too, that it's really just a, a privilege to be part of students' academic journeys. Um, you know, I have had the, the great privilege of working with a lot of first-generation students and refugee students and, and students that, you know, maybe wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to pursue higher education. And I think, you know, particularly with art, kind of making that accessible um, and really showing that that is a, a path to a, a wonderful life um, is something that I, I really take very seriously um, and really feel privileged to be part of that journey for students. And if someone wants to contact you from around the country, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. So um, you can email me. My email address is nhall1 at saic.edu. Um, or you can give me a call in my office at 312-629-6103. Uh, um, and I'm also on LinkedIn as a, as a good way to connect. Um, but yeah, happy to chat any I'm um, with anyone who wants to get into it about art school enrollment. Good, good. Right. Well, we appreciate your time, and it was uh, a lot of great information. Uh, we're not all exposed to the art world, of course, and sometimes it's a specialty. I'm sure it is a specialty to some degree, but mm -hmm. as I said, it's nice to speak to somebody who is out of the sciences and the math and all of that good stuff going on in the world. So My pleasure. Uh, <clears throat> we appreciate your time, and... Um, Hopefully we'll speak to you again. Yeah, for sure. It's been, it's been fun. And thank you all for listening. Uh, each week we have another expert in careers and colleges and financial aid. So this is Maria and Tom. And uh, thanks a lot for coming and being part of our program. Thank you.